0: log talk radio
1: good afternoon it's tuesday december 18th and it's going this is going to be the last drive through episode or show for 2018 so i have uh, we've got some friends on the line one who can't hear us yet but we're working on technical difficulties but we got robin and robin good good afternoon how are you today
0: hello mike good afternoon I am. Uh, I'm doing well. The sun is shining, so
1: yeah, we're halfway there. It's here too. We're, we're still third. It's still. Uh, it's still in the 50s, so it's still fall. But it, the sun's out and it's nice. We had a rain a bunch last week. We have uh, a couple of friends uh, that have. Uh, they're the dynamic duo of human resources. At least that's what I wrote in the show intro. So our our guests <laughs> today are are theor- in theory going to be Frank Zupan. And Tammy Coulson, otherwise known as Zuko Incorporated. So, Frank, I know you're on. How are you doing today?
2: I am here, in fact, not in theory. If you are a,
1: <laughs> you are an actual being, alive on the on the radio. So, and I don't know if Tammy is live or not. Can you hear us, Tammy?
3: Am I live? You are. You are live.
1: live. Welcome to Drive Thru. So, we've got all four of us on the call. Um, Woohoo! For, So for those who don't know the dynamic duo and the history of Frank and Tammy and the legend that it is, can you guys introduce (laughs) yourselves to our listeners? Uh, Frank, since you were live first, I'll I'll pick on you. Go first.
2: Oh, thanks, Mike. And thanks (laughs) for the invite, Robin. I appreciate it. Um, Of course. Frank Zupan here. I'm the director of talent management for a company headquartered here in Northeast Ohio called Associated Materials probably haven't heard of that company, but may have heard of some of the brands that we produce and distribute products under. Products are typically in the uh, residential construction material space, so windows, siding, things like that. Real kind of industrial manufacturing footprint across the U.S. and Canada, Um, and I've been here for almost six years. I am going on six years here, which I think every day... Shocks and amazes, Tammy, because she was the one that pointed it out to me once after looking at my resume. She said, you know, you've never spent more than five years anyplace. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Job hopper. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like a good wine or a bad wine, I guess. Yeah, I age in five years and then I'm done. <laughs> now, but this is this has been an interesting role that's changed a couple of times while I've been here, so it's kept me uh, kept me engaged. Tammy, how about you? Introduce yourself.
3: So I am a Cleveland transplant, moved up here about eight years ago. And um, I'll tell that story in a second. Um, I own a company called Talent Crib, which is a a small uh, HR and recruiting consultancy. So generally speaking, I go into small and medium-sized businesses that either don't have HR or have underdeveloped HR and recruiting and, you know, help them with technology and HR issues, and I do the occasional, you know, HR tasking, but... Uh, my usual modus operandi is to dis- determine what help they need and then go find it for them. Um, but eight years ago, Frank yeah. and I met at an a HR evolution conference. The conference after that, we decided that dating might be a good thing. And by the next conference, we were living together. Um, I had moved to Cleveland. <laughs> Um, you
2: really, you really softened up that middle step. I thought we hooked up. You said we decided <laughs> that dating would be a good idea. And I, <laughs> I heard, I heard Robin chuckle. <laughs>
0: I chuckled because I was at the dinner. Uh, we right. sat at uh, that Italian place for dinner. Our first date.
2: Our first date at were flying. Rosebud. Rosebud yep. in downtown Chicago. That's right.
3: Yep. Yeah. And then five years ago at. HR Evolution in Las Vegas, we decided to get married, so we invited all of the HR Evolution people to our wedding, and that was so fun, and amazingly enough, we're still here five years later. (laughs) That was awesome.
1: And, and thusly, the legend of Frank and Tammy, that uh, they that's they met, the they worked in the similar professions, they met, apparently hooked up, and then got married. So congratulations. <laughs> I missed every one of those events. I didn't. I was not present at any of that. So um, it's actually nice to hear I, the i, per, I,
0: the I, I story. pretty much at every one of them. And, and, and we but watched the royal wedding together, up. too. <laughs> well, except for the hooking up <laughs> part. <laughs> <laughs> you just <clears throat>
1: missed that part, it's Robin.
0: Just, this is our
1: free Christmas show, you know. This is like, you know, we got to be, you know, naughty, I guess naughty and nice, right? So, family. So I, uh, I kind of jokingly uh, last week we had the Robin and I were getting ready, and we, you know, we take turns kind of helping keep the show going along. And she texted me or emailed me and said, "Can you set up the show for for Frank and and Tammy?" and and she said, Frank sent us a, a list, and it it was like a, six bullet points. All of them had a word, and then said employment. So it was like good employment, shitty employment, something like that. <laughs> um, and, and I'm like, this, how am I supposed to make a show show description out of this? So what I did was I I took uh, I I did a W theme, as you guys probably saw, and I said that our our topic today was going to be threefold. It was going to be wine. Because uh, we have a wine expert on the line, and it'll be work, and all of us do that whether we're experts or not. And then uh, I jokingly said, and also a rock and roll because there's a, you know it's that, that time of year for lists and inductions and John Jorgensen's uh, annual dissatisfaction with the people who made the list, and <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. So Frank and Tandy live in Cleveland. They go they, they're they're passionate about the the rock and roll Hall of Fame, and I guess let's do some of the work stuff. First, and then, or, well, you know what, Tammy? Let's do a wine thing. Like, what what's good right now at the holidays? Just to, if you have like one thing you could throw out just to get that wine topic checked off the list.
3: The one thing that's good at the holidays is finding a wine you love to drink and enjoying it with friends.
1: <laughs> and, and with without without any recommendations at all.
3: Oh, I always always have recommendations. We are, um, we're having roast beef this year. Um, We'll have 12 people at dinner. And so I have chosen a Bordeaux blend to serve with that. Um, We're going to start with bubbles because there's, you know, I don't even need an excuse to to drink bubbles. And Mm -hmm. then we'll open a Bordeaux blend. And I prefer a Cabernet Sauvignon is the classic to serve with a roast beef or a steak. I like the Bordeaux blends that are that are heavier on the cab front. Um, I think it's a little bit smoother and a little less tannic and um, goes better with all of the different types of side dishes that you tend to serve at a holiday meal. Hmm. Cool. So that's my recommendation. Thank you
0: Too bad much. it's the middle you of the day and we're all sitting in our offices and can't crack one open. Well, Tammy could because she I, doesn't. Sure.
3: <laughs> she works
0: at home.
1: I have a, I have a lukewarm... Starbucks, the bottom of the cup here, which is not a wine, and it—I wouldn't drink it now. It's been here for like three hours. Um, so, so, just running right down the list that Frank sent, the the first topic up, and I did the, the, these are pretty wide open. The first topic that Frank had on his list was actually being trapped in the hourly workforce. So, Frank, you made the I got What the hell are you that. talking about? <laughs>
2: yeah, that's well. I think it, like you said, Mike, it's a wide open topic um there's you know a lot of kind of push and pull on the hourly workforce right now, and I think, yeah, you know, Robin, you jumped in there quickly because I think you have probably more direct experience navigating that that part of our workforce, that part of the labor pool, um certainly than I do. I have some exposure to it here at my current employer, but I don't have responsibility for it in a staffing sense. We distribute that yeah. down to our plants. So we have individual plants, manufacturing plants across the US and they'll they'll have an, a site HR manager and they typically have yeah. you know, kind of their local staffing underhand, so to speak. Um but I I know of some of the pressures that exist in that market. And it's very interesting because typically I think the way our, our uh, companies are set up is that we're typically built to deal with one or even a couple different pressures within a certain part of the workforce. But when we get these multiple pressures um, and I mean multiple, as in you've got you know the wage pressures benefit pressures, the gig economy for competitive kind of keeping people employed in a certain you know in a certain area or space and i i don't know i i'd love for Robin to jump in and bring some. Recent some of her recent h r experience yeah. and to kind of continue that thought, but it just seems like the pressures have multiplied in both the workforce and in the the users you know the legitimate users of the workforce, which yeah. are employers
0: yeah I think you know and and um, you know, as everybody on the call knows i until two months ago um, when I left to, and now that I think about it, theoretically I am home, so I guess I could drink during the day if I wanted to. Um, Approved. Until two months ago when I went to, you know, uh, to my new gig, um, I was working, um, you know, managing HR for a casino. And so, you know, lots of of hourly workers, service industry, um, you know, so the, the pressures uh talk about uh, you know needing to be very nimble and just in time in terms of hiring um because our staffing yeah we could have the best staffing model in the world and anticipating obviously what our business was going to do through the through the year but if business would tick up or tick down for whatever reason um that you know immediately affected the number of employees that we had and we we were constantly adjusting. Well, we, uh, not alone in how we sort of, how the company sort of managed that workforce, was we went to a model with lots of, you know, not just hourly workers, but part-time positions. Mm-hmm. And you're always going to have that in the serv- in kind of that service hospitality world. And the plus is it provides some flexibility, certainly, for some people. We had students that were, you know, cocktail servers, that sort of thing. But it also puts those people who are working in those positions at such a disadvantage because they just cannot get a full-time job. And so we, you know, what I saw so much was we had people that desperately wanted to work full-time. We didn't have full-time openings. So they ended up cobbling together two or three part-time jobs with two or three different employers, I had some people that maybe had another part time job and then also drove you know Uber or Lyft or whatever um, and so you don't have one specific employer that they feel an affinity with um, because they're they're making nine dollars an hour um, and working for three different companies and just trying to balance that plus with kids and families and all that sort of thing and it was it was a challenge and you know so we had people that wanted benefits or wanted the stability of full-time hours and i think across the hourly employee landscape it is just more and more common for part-time gigs you know supplemental staffing and um you know trying to Minimize costs from the company side, and then we have this group of employees whose wages are just very stagnant over the last thirty years um, and and I just see this further further division of you know kind of two classes, if you will, in the workplace
3: uh, that brings up an, an interesting point before I went to college, which was nineteen ninety 6. I worked in a hotel and I made 775 an hour. Just I was just working the front desk. And we're yeah. still paying people exactly a dollar and a quarter more than that that I earned in yeah. 1995 as a non-degreed fresh out of the Marine Corps, you know, individual living in a small town. Um, yeah, and you make a good point about the, the part-time work. Um, when I was staffing for I was HR manager for Home Depot for several years and you know one of the things we had was full-time flex in other words we're only going to give you between 20 and 25 hours a week but we want you available anytime we need you which is basically Mm -hmm. 7 a.m to 10 Mm p.m and anyone with with You know, a a child or an elderly parent or who has classes or has any other obligation can't work that way. They just can't. So you end up with, oh, I have a person who can work these three days, and I have a person who can work those three days. And every once in a while, an edict would come down and say, we need everybody at full-time flex. and If they can't work full-time flex, you you need to get rid of them. And it would wreak havoc in our stores. Yeah. Because while we had figured it out by cobbling together these, you know, this set of hours and that set of hours, when it got upended, it, you know, our employees are, hey, I can't do that because I have to, you know, take my mother to the doctor at 4 o'clock on Friday. and Yeah. And on Sunday afternoon, my kid has soccer. And for the last three years, it's been okay for me to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and suddenly it's not. Um, And none of those, I mean, Home Depot did some stuff with part-time benefits, which which is good, but you're you're right. All of these folks, well, the vast majority, wanted 40 hours a week, and they want 40 hours a week that they can relatively depend on so that they can have lives and have schedules and, you know, make a dentist appointment or whatever that thing is because they're not going to get paid if they take the two hours off. Right. You know, and you certainly aren't going to let them take two hours off in the middle of a the shift. They have to take the day off. And yeah. so it's. I think there's got to be some change in the way employers think, in that we want the flex as employers, but we have to be willing to give the flex to employees. You know, one of the things that we had put on our list was self-employment. And I think... Mm-hmm. Over the last 10 years, people have moved to that working for Uber or Lyft or TaskRabbit or Instacart or any number of these kind of gig where you set your own hours thing so that they can have flex in right. getting their lives done and getting making things happen and taking care of their children. And I hear people that make great money, and I hear people that are still, you know, not able to pay their bills. Um, yeah. So, but I – I think also when we have people moving out of those types of environments or out of just plain old self-employment, you know where they well, try and, to start and, a Well, and you know,
0: and and one of the things, um, and there may be other states that have this too, um, but I'm most familiar with California's because we have I have employees in California, uh, and California has a Fair Scheduling Act that they passed several years ago. That you know, and 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 as much as we say, you know, California employment law gives us headaches as HR professionals. Aspects of California's employment law um, make for uh, a little more sanity for employees, for for workers. And so, like the Fair Scheduling Act requires that employers notify um, their hourly, their non-exempt employees with their work schedule. Um, at least, I believe it's seven days ahead of time. And if they make changes to that, if they make modifications to that schedule once it's posted, there are um, provisions in that um, to give them some modification pay as well. So uh, there's, you know, one would say common sense is I'm writing a schedule and I'm putting it out and people know what's expected of them, but we know that that doesn't happen, so that's why this sort of legislation flows out there um to to help people you know at least with that
3: if somebody's already working work and they cut a shift does it apply if they cut a shift
0: that's like, um, i'm already at work i believe o, so yes if they if they um if they cancel if they cancel a shift like if i'm the employer and i say joe now i don't need you anymore on that day that modification pay uh kicks in
3: yeah, because that was, mm-hmm. I think, one of the biggest heartburns for uh, the hourly workforces that I had, in, and I've worked in, in HR and manufacturing as well, that you go through, you know, you look at your numbers and, and it's Friday at, at 9 a.m. and you go, oh, we, don't, we won't need this department today. And you, you, yeah. tell, you send them home. So now they're, you know, seven hours short on their paychecks. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, the reverse of, oh, we don't need you today, but companies come in Saturday. <laughs> right. Yes, I know, it's Friday morning. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so there's a lot I, uh, of that used, shift change stuff.
1: I used to work at the post office, and the schedule I worked, I was called a part-time flexible employee. I had no guarantee of any hours throughout the week, and I was regularly scheduled to work uh, a shift that required me to come in at 7 o'clock in the morning and help sort mail until about 11 o'clock and then they would send me to lunch for three hours, and I would have Ugh. to clock out. And then I had to come back at, like, 1 o'clock in the afternoon or 2 o'clock in the afternoon and work until about 7 p.m. So I was there for 12 hours and basically working 8 almost every day. I couldn't wait. Out of that <laughs> this? So pay, painful. The pay was okay, but it was just a, such a crap schedule that it, you know, it made anything else during the day impossible to do. And I think employers, you know, are better at than that. That was three, five years ago or whatever. I think employers are better than that mostly, but it sounds like not all the time based on what you guys are sharing. So, Yeah,
2: yeah um, not all the time. I would say, you know, Robin mentioned something very interesting that still holds true in many, many employers is that the goal is just in time with the labor force. There's a mm-hmm. There's a goal of having, you know, literally your workforce there and capable of producing a product or performing a service only if and when they're necessary because that's the profitability model that many companies hold to. That's how it's mapped out. That's how the process works. But in reality, it very rarely works like that because the just-in-time process doesn't – take into account, you know, a a sick kid or a flat tire or another job, you know, another gig, uh, like we've been talking about the multiple, you know, kind of uh, part time to make up a full time wage and things like that. So there's a lot of variations and pressures in that system. That I think keep it from becoming a reality, and then the you know the competitive nature of it as well. Know that companies are out there testing the competitive wages, and and trying yeah. to pay a wage that will give them an advantage. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the you know that's the credo of being in business: get the advantage <laughs> that you can, and maximize it for a profit. Right?
1: Yeah. So.
0: And we've um, seen that here, and I'm sure you've you've seen it in Cleveland as well, and and you know uh, Mike in in Atlanta area as well. But you know, last year um, we started. I, I'd say 2017 was really when it all started hitting. A lot of big, larger local employers, um, some of our hospitals, some of our larger like regional banks. Um, you know, end of last year, early this year, it uh, came out saying uh, with their plans to increase their um, you know company minimum wage, if you will. Sure. Yeah, um, we their just had a large wage, yeah. hospital our large a large hospital group in the kind of South Louisiana came out last week and said um, I think it's by next year, I think it's by I think it's in twenty nineteen that they will be raising um, you know, their nobody that works for them will make less than twelve dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're raising it. Now bear in mind of course we don't have a state minimum wage, we defer to the feds, so you know, who knows what their current sort of, you know, low weight you know, pay rate is, but they, you know, they came out and it's too much fanfare. Um because those those employers competing for those types of positions or those skill sets at that hospital, at that healthcare group, um, you know, Somebody's making ten bucks an hour, twelve bucks an hour is infinitely more appealing.
2: Yeah. I'm curious to hear from their head of TA as to whether it's actually improving either the top of their funnel or yeah. their results in filling those types of positions, or is it more of just a, a public relations slash brand mm-hmm. effort? Mm-hmm.
1: Get really I know Target.
2: Yeah, Target, Target came out with Amazon, theirs, didn't they? Walmart, yeah.
1: They've all done yeah. that. Uh, they they know, have, foods. yeah. Hey, Frank, I have a question from a manufacturing perspective. Um, the last couple of years, uh, President Trump administration has, has kind of tried to revive or create a new type of uh, apprenticeship program by using employers as partners. And I know some of the skills that you guys in, in your factories, uh, I worked in the building window building industry for a while, are you guys doing anything at all in that direction or is that something that just isn't a a, a playground that you touch at this point?
2: Yeah, it is actually, but we're doing it through um, state programs for apprenticeship, one right here in Ohio. I know we have out of one of our plants and it was it was based on necessity. This wasn't a nice to have thing. Um, Skilled maintenance mechanics in a manufacturing world are probably, um, at this point, one of the hardest to fill positions. It's one of those dynamics in the workforce that comes along. You know, you see a couple of them within a generation, right? If we go back 10 or 12 years, it was nurses,
0: right? Mm -hmm. Hardest
2: Mm -hmm. to fill job in the country. And then truck drivers, CDL drivers, the hardest to fill job. And now – it's skilled maintenance, or really what we, in more general terms, refer to as skilled trades. The skilled mm-hmm. trades are, are extremely difficult to fill, and it's, it, I mean it's pretty straightforward. There's more people leaving that part of the workforce than there are entering it. So, you know, supply and demand, as much as we might want to advertise our way out of it, um, it works still. So, uh, is
1: yeah, a, is there is there a uh, is there a flow of you know like the so one of the problems with those jobs the traditional trade jobs traditional labor jobs is that the the generations <clears throat> coming up um, want to do a different kind of work they're not that interested in yeah. being plumbers or, or I mean are you seeing that and and is there anything you're doing in in relation to that or is there some de- some demand developing because of the opportunity.
2: Well, I think there's some developing from the opportunities, but I would also say that that sentiment is a very generalized statement that, you know, that it it's kind of like the, um, you know, the, this whole generation of people do this or do that. That tends right. to be a generalization. Um, there are still – Uh, a certain percentage of young people coming through particularly the public education system who choose vocational education in high school and don't plan on a university degree so they are actually the high schools I think are becoming more adept at directing them into the workforce there's pretty active programs um, and we have we have some here where we bring right. in vocational ed uh vocational ed classes to tour our plants and to make connections with them, um we don't have an apprenticeship at this particular plant that our headquarters is is attached to, but we do have one at one of our other plants in in ohio here and and some other of our facilities as well so that's a that's a pretty good way to attract at the high school level is to have a program to have some visibility to them as well. Um, and I, I suspect that in a couple of years, we'll probably be branding at the middle school level. And I'm being serious. We, yeah. you know, we will oh, probably be getting our brand in front of them.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah, it makes um, me
3: wonder. As, go ahead. As high schoolers, you would used to see, and you probably still do, where the military recruiters would show up on career day and see who might be interested in not pursuing a career. College education, but maybe joining the military. And they would actively pursue those individuals on a one on one basis. And it makes me wonder if military style recruiting wouldn't work for things like, you know, machine mechanics, you know, maintenance, maintenance folks, or mechanics in general. I have a friend who teaches auto mechanics down in central Ohio. And he's taught for uh, 10 or 15 years, and there's a constant theme that his classes are never full. They never, you know, sure. fill the class. There's not enough people that are interested in doing it. And there's really good money to be made in these trades. And so I wonder if that a little bit more of that one-on-one recruiting. It, yes, it's going to be labor intensive, but if you can find five a cycle. Then you've got a pipeline of people that, yes, we're going to put you through training and we're, you're going to have this job if you succeed. And I mean, that's exactly what the military has done to staff for, you know, the, probably the existence of <laughs> 220 years. Of the military. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, I, hey, you think you'd be great at this? Come talk to us.
2: Yeah, and I I would consider trades apprenticeships to be a very equivalent kind of recruiting model and outcome as to the military there there are certain base requirements there's a kind of a commitment of loyalty on each side uh, really? and there's some expected outcomes to advance you know a, a career goal that doesn't include university typically so
3: but i i do think that in a lot of ways over the course of the last 20 years a lot of employers have just expected people to be able to do the job that they're hiring them to do. In other words, you've oh, yeah. already done this. Yes. Yeah. So we want the people that have already done it. And Yes. Yeah. So we haven't really developed our pipeline of, you know, we've, we've lost our pipelines. We just expect all the people that have already done it, oh, and by the way, we're not going to pay you what 10 years of skill is worth. You start at minimum wage and work your way up here, just like you did at the yeah. other company.
0: <laughs> Yeah, because in HR we like to, you know, we 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 fall back on the well. It's an internal equity issue, so you're gonna come in at what everybody else came in.
2: That's well, how we keep our seat at the table, Robin.
0: Exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, hey. we, we,
1: Thirty-one minutes into the show before you said it. Congratulations. That's
2: right. I had to throw oh. down at some point. We need
1: to, uh, we need to do a quick reset. Uh, actually, so since this is the last show of the year, we added on a bonus fifteen minutes. Plus, we just love talking to Frank and Tammy. So, uh, but it's it's one thirty-two actually. So we have about thirteen minutes left in the show. This is Mike and Robin. And our guests are are Frank Zupan and Tammy Colson. Um, You probably have figured that out if you've been listening to the previous 32 minutes. But um, we're talking about work. uh, You you had sent in some other – sort. I mean, and and I think we sort of touched on these indirectly, Frank. But on your list or your list and Tammy's, we talked about – so it was trapped in the workforce, unemployment, underemployment, awful employment temporary employment, and self-employment. I don't know that we covered the self-employment part. I know Tammy is self-employed. You are not, Frank. So what what are you guys thinking about there in terms of just the general topic?
3: Well, I think the biggest piece is if you've got people who are in the gig economy role, and they've got their flexibility, but they're not making great money, how do do we as employers make our jobs attractive to these people? And I think that's something we have to consider because so many people have moved out over the course of the last few years out of the, those hourly workforce roles, customer service, you know, retail, and they want stability, but they're trying to pay their bills. You know, as Robin mentioned, I'm working three jobs to try to to make sure that my rent's paid. These are not – most of these folks don't have mortgages. They're, they're renting. And so their entire life is a little bit unstable.
0: Mm. So
3: how do we make our jobs attractive? How do we bring them in to our manufacturing jobs? How do we bring them in to our uh, other customer service roles? Um, how do we make it so they're not leaving for 25 an extra $0.25 cents an hour?
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Tammy. I would say that there's certainly more effort and more resources pointed towards branding, employer branding, into that level of the workforce than, let's say, as recently as five years ago. There's more thought put into it, there's more resources put into it, and there's more of that, you know, the talent, the ubiquitous talent attraction. Kind of model put around how do we sustain our hourly workforce? Because we absolutely have to have, in certain, in certain economies, in certain sectors, manufacturing being one, lots of others exist, service uh, employees, another. Uh, and Robin spoke to that, but you absolutely yeah. have to have the people to turn the Healthcare. lights on and turn the lights off.
0: Healthcare,
2: That's absolutely. Uh, both in I, I, you institutional you know health and in-home health care. You,
0: you know where I think the issue, um, where the challenge lies right now is you're absolutely right in that there's um, there's a whole lot more awareness about um, the talent attraction piece and, and I'm ABC restaurant, how am I differentiating my gig as a waitress to XYZ restaurant And so employers are talking about that Um, where the rubber meets the road though and where the problems arise, I think, although it's getting better and there are some companies doing, I think, you know, the right thing or cool things, um, is that that employee then comes in and starts living that work experience. And the shit is the same as it's always been. Um, It does get back to that sort of two classes of employees um, and I think this is where employers need to think this through. There's, there are a lot of draconian HR policies that are that are applicable to just hourly employees in any given organization. Attendance policies with points. Um, yep. You know, any uh, no fault, especially the no fault one. I don't care if you're out on the middle of the street in a car accident; you're not at work, you get a point. Um, there's there's we kind of talked about scheduling, but um, there's less understanding that Sally, who's a, a certified nursing assistant making 11 bucks an hour, might need the same amount of flexibility that Trixie, the office administrator, needs. But that hourly worker is stuck to, again, the schedule, this attendance policy, um, has less say in her work experience and I think that's where that's where the opportunity lies that especially employers of large hourly workforces if they really dive down into that and think about that and i
2: difference. would argue that in addition to some policies that aren't certainly uh employee friendly for for various parts of the workforce you could also argue that the uh line supervisor line manager capabilities are are hugely mm-hmm. important to the work experience mm-hmm. um and and you just you know that in in certain environments when you have production lines that don't suffer from absenteeism that don't suffer from turnover that actually right. keep their people and you know what it is. It's yep. they have the same policies as other people. You, you really do know what it is. Trying to replicate it becomes a whole nother thing. Trying to, you know, teach of others what that, what those particular people who are skillful and adapt at, simply leading in that in. in that part of the workforce or in that part of your factory or in that part of your hotel or casino, mm-hmm. whatever it is, I mean, you know that it's the manager's capabilities that keep people there. So. Yes. So but
0: what I think have, we
3: have spent generations putting people, promoting people based on merit. They're good at their job. It doesn't mean they're good at leading people. They're good at their job. And we Lost that idea that you have to be good at leading people to lead people. Right, and I think those things are two different. You know, they're two different animals.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen a very efficient way to identify it. I think is one of the challenges that companies may have. Is we, you know, companies might look for how do we tell the good manager from the bad manager? You know, let's give them an assessment. That'll tell us. Let's Yeah, their disk profile, exactly. We know that that's not going to tell us. It's going to be one tiny little sliver of information in the hole, but actually getting to the hole can be a time-consuming and, in fact, a fairly costly endeavor to really identify who your best leaders on the floor are. Uh, who your best yeah. leaders in the hotel are, it's uh, it's kind of easy to see, but it's harder to quantify, I think.
1: And it's not always the hardest worker, is it? Um, no. Nope. We're literally down to five minutes, believe it or not, even with the ex- bonus time. Um, and we, I really want to uh, – I'd love to keep this conversation going, but I really want to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to Good. end the show and the year, so <laughs> – um you guys are like you guys own a brick there i think right we do yeah explain, explain rock and roll hall of fame in in you know 10 seconds or less and then let's talk about this year's inductees for a minute
2: yeah rock and roll hall of fame in cleveland uh cleveland stuffed the ballot box about 25 or 30 years ago at the at the direction of our big fm radio station and we won the uh we won the nomination process to get the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We have this beautiful building right down on the lakefront. It's amazing. Everybody should come see it. Um, and that's actually a true story about stuff in the ballot box. It's a great yep. part of the history of Cleveland getting that. Of, of <laughs> Cleveland getting that. But um,
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, we're we're members. We're uh, we're big time fans. We try to take all of our visiting friends. Uh, when we can arrange yep. it, like Robin, I know, and uh, yep. and lots of others that have uh, that have come and visited Cleveland for various reasons, uh, we love to go down there and take a walk through the history of rock and roll. It's pretty cool. Um, and I th- I think John, by the way, and I'll just add, John was only right on one of those picks this year. I agree with him on one that it was, you know, probably not a, a great pick, but the way that they're picked involves a lot of kind of moving parts, and I would not have had Stevie Nicks as a solo performer in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame given my drawings, so but gonna, that might be I'm,
0: uh, I'm going to read through the inductees um, just so uh, you know, so we sound like we're topical and current um, The Cure,
2: that,
0: Def Leppard yeah, best,
2: best Makeup Artist for The Cure Best Hair go. For Def Leppard,
0: Def Leppard, Janet Jackson, best
2: oh yeah, nipple? best don't performer.
0: Don't okay, <laughs> or that um, <laughs> Stevie Nicks, who we already kind of she's in with Fleetwood <clears throat> Mac, so this is for and it as a solo. Um, right. Radiohead. I love Radiohead, I'm not a
2: huge fan, but I think I they've done some good, consistent work, and they're fairly yeah. innovative with their sound. So. I'll I'll give them uh, that. I'm just not a huge fan of Radiohead.
0: Roxy Music. That's a, oh, yeah. that's a good one. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and uh the zombies.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. A, there's
0: the there's the old that's the longest running group in that. Is
1: that what's song? season class. of the witch? Is that them? Season of the witch? I'm not a zombies fan, so so Is that the years? zombies that did that?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I'm it's not the time
1: it of the season. That's the It's
2: the it's time, the time yeah, of the I'm, season. That's yeah. the zombies okay. one. And okay. that's Rod so, Argent. Just,
1: yeah. Yeah. So uh, the travesty, and Paul Hebert calls this out every year, and I tend to agree with him, is that Warren Zevon has not been nominated and put in. Um, I agree. Artist, great lyricist, pretty good singer. All, all, I think, although unfortunate, that is what most recognized song is Werewolves of London, which was kind of a spoof. But, yeah, um,
2: but innovative so, so, nonetheless. In in the time yeah. that he was making music, he was a very unique artist and yeah. quite popular, um, I think, on the innovation. I know one of the nominees this year, again, that you could argue based on their the innovation of their music would have been uh, Todd Rundgren, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, some people don't like him. Some people don't think he's that, you know, much of an artist, but with the different kind of bands and solo performances and all the uh, record producing that he's done, he he would get my vote over Stevie Nicks in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah,
1: and, and like I got to say, I don't think of rock and roll when I think of Janet Jackson, so I think the the, the theme has expanded probably on what kind of artists get in there from the get go, but one minute, add. fifty seconds, actually. So, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, any other holidays that people celebrate coming up? Enjoy it, Frank and Tammy. Thanks for being on the show. Tell people where they can find you. LinkedIn usually on
3: Twitter, TL Colson and LinkedIn.
1: Robin,
0: uh, Robin, where can people find you? I think everybody knows you? where to find me. Yeah, yeah Twitter, I guess, LinkedIn. I, I just Google me. I say. wanted Try to,
1: to HR. Close out. We'll be oh. back on January 8th. I think that the, the first Tuesday after the New Year, uh, we'll have a cool tool show, and the, we have 10 seconds. So thanks everybody for being here. Um, and Robin, I think
0: Happy you got. Happy holidays. Close
2: out. Bye. Merry yep. Christmas, everyone. Yep. Happy holidays. Bye,
0: everybody.
3: Bye. Bye.